Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. Hey, Beth. Hey, girl. I feel like you always start it, so it's kind of fun for me to start. To say hi? Hi. You think I always start? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, way to take the the reins there, Sarah. Way to be aggressive. Grabbing the bull. There. I'm really excited about this series that we're getting ready to do. Uh, I think we've been looking forward to this for a while now. Yeah. Because, should we tell people what we're going to be talking about? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're going to be talking about the emotional fallout after treatment. And Which for, occurs for a lot of women. Yeah. And for both of us, I feel like this was such an important time of our whole journey. Yeah. I mean, it's what <clears throat> resonates with me the most. Like when thinking back on the ex- entire experience, it's mm-hmm. really all about the emotional piece. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. It was the hardest time for me. Yeah. You- well, I mean, people talk about it all the time and nurses in particular. I think I might have mentioned this in a previous podcast that nurses say that they can kind of set their watch to the time that a patient falls apart after treatment's over. Mm-hmm. And I found that really interesting. So it's something that a lot of people have happen. Yeah. And I think it's just because when you're going through treatment, you're, you know, running to this appointment and you have to have this scan and you're you're kind of hunkered down and just eyes straight ahead, right? And you don't yeah. really get a lot of time to process. And then I feel like that time to process happens when everything else stops (laughs) the dust settles oh boy and then that is really i feel like a reckoning yeah for sure i agree 100 percent. so today what we're going to be talking about so this is the start of our emotional fallout series we're going to be i'm going to be sharing my story today we're going to talk about why moving into survivorship can be tough and how that whole process goes Right, your story, yep, right? My your story. individual story. And <gasps> then this is going to be an emotional one, right? <laughs> and then what we want you all to know that are listening, you know, about what to expect once the dust settles and you're mm. facing your emotions and everything that you just went through. Yeah, yeah. Before we get into all of that, let's hear from our first sponsor. Hair loss is consistently ranked as one of the most feared side effects of chemotherapy treatment. The emotional impact chemo hair loss can have on patients has been well documented. Scalp cooling is a simple treatment that can prevent hair loss caused by certain chemotherapy drugs. The use of scalp cooling is proven to be effective in preventing chemotherapy-induced alopecia and can result in people retaining much of their hair. Paxman is the global leader in scalp cooling. Their cold cap is scientifically proven to reduce hair loss during chemotherapy. If you are facing cancer treatment and concerned about losing your hair, Ask your provider about scalp cooling and visit our website at www.coldcap.com. And we're back. All right. All right. So let's let's talk about why moving into survivorship is the toughest part. I wanted to share this and it might, I'm going to read from this because this came directly from the Journal of Oncology, Navigation and Survivorship. So it's a journal that's kind of geared towards um, nurse navigators. And if you've gone through cancer, then you 
understand what a nurse navigator is. They're kind of the person that takes you under their wing and then guides you through your treatment, usually the right-hand person of your oncologist. But they wrote a lot in this article that I read about how to what you just spoke about earlier when we were opening about how when you get a cancer diagnosis, you are kind of in the weeds with going through your appointments and that nurse navigator has very specific tasks to help you with. It's kind of like going back to school when you're a kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like your parents tell you every (laughs) – like when you're a kid, your parents tell you what you're going to eat, what time you're going to go to school, Mm -hmm. what your activities are. And it's – you get in that groove where you're you're just looking to your parents and they tell you every step. And I feel like going through cancer treatment is like – a step back in time mm-hmm. to when somebody else controls your every move. Right, exactly. Or, or like the HR when you start work, like they tell you, like there are steps, sign up for this, sign up for that, right. you know, do right. this. So that nurse navigator really has a good job and has a step-by-step roadmap of where to take somebody when they've been diagnosed. But what I thought was really cool about this article was what they were sharing about how that nurse navigator can also play a really key role in helping somebody into survivorship and and like hoping to be there as a, a navigator into survivorship. Yeah. Do I, you feel like you had a nurse navigator that helped you that way? I didn't. Um, some hospitals have them and they're really involved and other ones don't. I didn't have one that kind of walked alongside me in that way. I will say that nurse navigators are my top referring provider mm-hmm. when it comes to the nonprofit and faith mm-hmm. through fire. So the nurse navigators, to your point, are the ones that really understand the emotional aspect of cancer mm-hmm. and are often dealing with patients, you know, emotions. Mm-hmm. And so they are my best referral source Mm -hmm. for new patients. And I love that. I love that they are looking out for their patients' emotional well-being during this process and and tapping them into our resources. You you build trust with them throughout your journey through chemo and surgery and everything. So it does make sense for them to be a good help in your survivorship. Um, I didn't really feel like I had a lot of support once I got to survivorship. Mm -hmm. Um, it It did feel very much like great, you've passed the class now, like Mm -hmm. on to life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was really nobody there to catch me or guide me or anything. So well, that's how that's how I felt when the nurse told me that they can kind of set their watch. It's like, well, wait a minute, if everybody knows this is coming, Mm -hmm. and that this is pretty typical, where is that, that, you know, warning, (laughs) like warning, warning, warning. (laughs) There's so many survivorship, like, or there's so many Facebook groups out there that are dedicated to like helping you figure out what you're drugs are and women supporting other women in that way but and and our mentorship program through faith through fire but they're just there wasn't really anything well i feel like a lot of those facebook groups exactly are for when you're in treatment Mm -hmm. you know i see a lot of posts hey i'm having this symptom or you know what kind of to your point what kind of drugs are you guys taking you know what are the side effects but survivorship is a topic that people aren't really talking about yeah and it's like you know now especially the treatments with breast cancer have come so far and women are doing better and better and we're, you know, survivorship is real. Yeah. <laughs> like we have yeah. many, many years left to live after a breast cancer diagnosis. And so quality of life and learning how to navigate post-treatment should be at the forefront, you know, of mm-hmm. cancer care. And, mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of things, I think it's lagging behind a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It The path towards survivorship seems very unclear. Because you've gotten now the bill of clean bill of health, hopefully the clean bill of health from your oncologist, and potentially you have ongoing treatment that you've got to navigate and the side effects of those. Mm-hmm. But yet, you know, the friends and the supports that have been there through treatment can kind of, you know, they kind of look at you if they haven't been through it before and kind of think, oh, she goes back to life and 
and you know everything should be normal. So that's what goes on in your brain, but but I mean that's any, not what happened for me, and that's not I know that's not what happened for I you. Mean, so I don't think that you're ever the same after you no. have a major life event, whether yeah. that be cancer or the the loss of life of a loved one, or you know any major change. Mm-hmm. You know even things like divorce, and and you know you go through something like that, and you're a changed person. You're not yeah. the same person, and I think you think, or at least I did. That when I was done with cancer treatment, I was going to go back to being the person I was before treatment Mm -hmm. and then was really surprised to find that that person no longer existed. (laughs) And and it's like, uh, Uh, that's a shocker, (laughs) you know, and cancer takes a lot of things from you. And so when you are struggling with your identity Mm post-treatment, that's additional stress. It's stress and it can be very traumatic. So I'm really interested to kind of hear about your experience. Yeah. And what that looked like. I'll share it all. You'll share it all. Yeah, you you are a share. <laughs> but before uh, before we do that, let's do boobs in the news for everybody. Want to do that before we dive in? Let's do it. All right, boobs in the news, people. Boobs in the news is a fun segment where we read funny tweets from real people or ridiculous news stories. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Okay, are you ready for this? Oh, always. Lay it on me. Okay. Why do you have Captain Crunch? <laughs> I'm getting to it. Okay. I am getting to it. <laughs> so you may or may not have heard the story. Did you hear about this man that no. got a surprise in his Captain Crunch recently? No. Okay. This just happened. Okay. So um, <laughs> so this story is about a man. What's his name? His name is Mr. Carp. Okay. He's a 41-year-old comedian and writer in Los Angeles. And he kind of went viral when he took a picture of the contents of his Cinnamon Toast Crunch and sent it to his wife, who, by the way, guess who his wife is? Oh, somebody famous? Kind of, yeah. Danielle Fischel Carp, who played Topanga Lawrence Matthews on Boy Meets World. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Boy Meets World. Oh, I love Boy Meets World. Right? (laughs) I know. So she is his wife. Lovely. So he has, he decides There's a lot of little boys out there at heart who are very jealous of him. Of him? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I always thought she was beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So he went to go have some Cinnamon Toast Crunch and found an unpleasant surprise, right? So I'm going to show you this picture. Can you tell what Did that is? Did one of the toasts look like Jesus or something? No. Do you see what that looks like? What is it? Shrimp tail. <laughs> shrimp tail. He found Somebody on the line was hungry. He found shrimp tail. That, how gross is that? That's so disgusting. In his Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And what I think is funny is that at first... Um, General Mills like totally denied it and was just like, oh no, it's, I think they tried to pass it off like that's just clumps of sugar together. Uh-huh. And and then they were trying to kind of say, oh, it wasn't us. It was a supplier and things like that. And first they tried to deny it. And then I think they kind of owned it and, you know, whatever. But what I thought was really funny about this is that the Mr. Carp said that he looked in the bag and saw what appeared to be a tail and then he found oh another gosh. one, and both were encrusted with sugar. He says, "I got, I get really grossed out, and I'm medicated for OCD. So this is a total nightmare for me." Oh no! Can you imagine? I mean, first of all, how does a supplier supply something for Captain Toast Crunch and also shrimp? Well, apparently, this is not their General Mills has had another shrimp debacle. Oh boy! In the past, okay, so in 2011. Well, I guess it wasn't related to shrimp, but it says in 2011, the company sued a Michigan blueberry packer after a shipment was found to be contaminated with pieces of shrimp. So it is wow, another shrimp debacle. shrimp are infiltrating. Yeah, I was just going to say, it is a shrimp debacle. <laughs> shrimp debacle. In the blueberries. So who's the boob, the shrimp or General Mills? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know if it's General Mills' fault or their supplier's fault. Maybe somebody in procurement. Oh, maybe. <laughs> 
maybe we need to start looking at that person's job. Yes. I don't know. But anyway, I thought that was hysterical. That and is then, funny. Yeah. And then on top of it, I happened to come across this tweet by the dad. So it's at the dad. And he said, that guy who found shrimp in his cereal has clearly never had breakfast with a toddler. Yesterday, I had Hot Wheels in my oatmeal. Today, it was batteries and the pancakes. Nice. So he's poking fun Aww. a little bit. But yeah, shrimp in the Captain Crunch or in Gross. the uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. There's your boob, people. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. Okay, and we're back. So I'm really interested in knowing kind of you know, what your mental state was like after you got done with treatment and mm. when you started to kind of recognize that something was not okay. Mm. Sure. I remember being done and being like, I'm going to get back into life as I knew it before. Now, I mean, I had a newborn at home, so I was adjusting to be now a parent of two and trying to get back into work full time. And I was just plugging along like we moms do, trying to do everything again. And I remember very distinctly, my very first symptom was um, I couldn't sleep at night. I would wake up, I would go to bed and I'd go to bed just fine. And then I'd wake up around one or two o'clock in the morning and I would be up for hours. And I would go down these crazy thought trains. I would think about like why I wasn't losing weight, why nothing I was doing diet wise was working. Then I would start thinking about like school debt and then I would start thinking about, I mean, everything. I would spiral into hours of thought. Like I literally wouldn't move if you would have just like had a video camera on my bed. I wouldn't have moved. I would be awake. But like my brain felt like it was moving 100 miles an hour and and I was just stuck there. And I remember when I really realized I needed to have some help is when those thought trains would go really depressive. So I had a few nights where I had thoughts of like killing myself and thoughts of suicide and never anything that I would have like actually acted on, but like planned it and how, oh, Eric would get my life insurance and, you know, they could take away that debt that I was thinking about last night. And I mean, it just, I had many, many nights like that, and I didn't really think anything of it like, oh, I'm just really tired. Like, this is how I get when I'm tired. I can't sleep very well or I sleepwalk or something. And So you didn't immediately say, oh, my gosh, no, this is not good. I didn't. In your mind, it felt I, normal? Yeah. I mean, I kept – I think I probably complained to my husband a couple times like, this isn't – you know, I, I'm up a lot at night. And, you know, I just – I didn't really expound on a lot that I was thinking about, but – it was when a few more stressors piled on. I at work, they got on to me about not being like the same old Sarah. I wasn't as like driven or motivated. And I noticed that about myself. I wasn't as motivated to do the things like I normally do. Like I like to be involved and I like to get people together and I like to plan things and write goals and don't cry. You're going to make me cry. I'm not crying. Okay. <laughs> I'm not crying. I'm listening. <laughs> and I just wasn't doing that and I the people that I worked with at the time, they you know, they kind of scheduled a little intervention for me and they sat me all down and it was this, it was a way for us to all come together and, and be all on one page and maybe like work out our differences is what I was told. And it really ended up being like, you know, hey, we noticed like you're really different at work and you're, you haven't been as like driven and motivated as you were once before. And, and I remember just breaking down because at the time, and, and I shared this with them, like, I had recently read a book, um, and I, I can't, undoctored maybe, and it was talking about like thyroid symptoms. And a lot of the symptoms that I was having were 
thyroid symptoms. So the inability to lose weight, sleepless nights. I mean, my first was thought was postpartum depression. Po- yeah, I mean, I mean, it all was there. I mean, it could have been it could have been anything. It could have been the fact that like two months after I had my baby, I got thrown into menopause and chemo. So mm-hmm. like, you know, there there was a lot of things at play. So the day that intervention happened, I had run some thyroid labs on myself and not, not on myself, but I had had labs run and I got the results back that day. One of the things that was really elevated was my thyroid antibodies. My thyroglobulin was elevated. And you, if you guys have listened at all, I like to Dr. Google. So um, I Googled immediately. And one of the biggest things that comes up when you Google high thyroid antibodies is thyroid cancer. So, which, which actually happens to some breast cancer survivors. A lot of the so times, yeah. For people that are listening, we've actually had two patients recently mm-hmm. who, upon finishing breast cancer treatment, mm-hmm. then found out they had thyroid cancer. Right. And and that's another, you know, that was one of the other many thoughts that would plague me in the middle of the night was, is my cancer going to come back? Like, mm-hmm. is it going to come back? And would I do anything like will how will my daughters watch me die like you know there was a lot there was lots of dark things happening at that time and i remember like that specific day i remember so much about that day but i remember getting those labs and being like okay i can either sit here and say that this is the symptoms that i'm going to have forever and or i'm going to do something about it cuz i had already i mean i already had talked to my doctor about like the symptoms i was having because i was on the ai like you know and that's when he pointed me towards Barbara in the front to help me with my sex life and, you know, which obviously didn't do it, do very much good. So Hold on, no, can I pause? I want to know specifically how you felt when they kind of did this mini intervention, because I know for myself, like you're a very, you have a very good spirit about you. Whereas I get very defensive when somebody comes at me with something mm-hmm. hard. Yeah. My first interaction is to like want to fight my way out of the corner. And so I'm curious how you responded to their loving intervention. Did it feel loving or did you feel attacked? So in the moment... <laughs> It's that's a really that's a really good thing to bring up because in the moment I felt incredibly attacked and I think even calling it an intervention is still my brain going like that mm-hmm. was an attack on you mm-hmm. but I look back and think about that entire day as the way it was like the turning point where mm-hmm. I was like I got to do something about this like this isn't right so I mean it was after that that I started investing in functional medicine to try to figure out my symptoms I did this whole diet rehaul I you know, I did a lot of I did a lot of things, but it was it was because of that day. And and yeah, in that moment, I may have been defensive and like, you guys, you're coming at me, but I don't even know what's going on with me. Like was right. I, is pretty much how I responded to that. But because it can feel very isolating. Yeah. When you've gone through this whole thing. <sighs> yeah. And even though they meant well, they don't know what it feels like. No. And so here you are just trying to keep your head above water. Yeah. And then you have somebody telling you you're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, it feels, you know, and for all the survivors out there, I feel like it feels very lonely for a while while you're trying to navigate life after mm-hmm. and you're trying to figure out who you are. But I also think it's, it's very an interesting lonely. point to make that when you are truly, when you truly care about somebody and you truly want what's best for them, sometimes it means saying the hard things. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's saying, hey, I don't feel like you're your same self. Yeah. I'm worried. Yeah. You know, we think that there's a problem here. Yeah. I know I wouldn't respond well out of the gate. Yeah. But I think ultimately, sometimes when you really care about a person, that is the yeah. kind thing to do. And you're none of them are coming from a place of, we need you to be different. Like, 
you know, you're not doing your job right. It was like, you know, we see this in you and we want different for you because we know that you're better and that you like you that way. And and I knew because I mean, even even now when I look back and describe it, I feel like what it was, was I was watching myself going, this is not you. This is this isn't even how you feel like I didn't want to work out at the time. I didn't want to like do anything like eat right. I didn't. I just there was so much about how I was living at the time that out from an outsider or the me watching me was going, that's not you. But me living it, I was like, I mean, who cares? Whatever. Like, you know, it was it felt very out of body. Don't you think there's those moments where you really question, am I ever going to get back to some semblance of, you know, like I said before, the person I was before? Mm Because you are different. Mm -hmm. But I think if there's an encouragement here in this, it's that you, you can, can be, be better. You can be better than yeah. before. And yeah. it may not feel that way. And no, there could be a lot of dark moments. Mm-hmm. And it does take a lot of intentional work, which I yeah. think we're going to touch on all the work you did to get to that point. Yeah. But then where you are now in comparison to then. 100%. 100% difference, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, and I I think we've probably even said it on here before is that I think cancer was probably one of the best things to happen to me because it made me learn the hard lessons like it made me learn them. It put me to the fire. <laughs> it put me to the fire. And then I had to figure it out. And because I figured it out, you know, not necessarily on my own, but with the supports around me. And I I dug deep and I did the work. I did the hard work. I didn't just, you know, I didn't take an antidepressant. I didn't, you know, go see a counselor. And I mean, I did go see a counselor, but I didn't like just pinpoint one thing. I I tried everything. If there was something that I thought could help me, I I did it all. And and what I learned from it, each thing made me learn something new either about myself or something about my life that I now have every single day forever. It's not ever something that's going to go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be learned in those, you know, but you don't know until you try it. And there's yeah. so many people I feel like that are scared to take those steps to try mm-hmm. something out of the box or different than maybe the way they were raised or what they have in their own mind. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I never hid the fact that I'm a big proponent of therapy, mm-hmm. you know, but a lot of people have a stigma associated with yeah. that and a stigma associated with needing help. And, yeah. you know, I don't know how you are, but I am so fiercely independent that the idea of having to depend on anybody else for my well being is mm-hmm. a real sore spot for me. I don't like yeah. that. When I went and saw a counselor, it was the first time I'd ever seen one my entire life. And I remember telling people and feeling empowered by being like, I'm going to see a counselor now. And they're like, what's wrong? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean. You're like, well, I had I mean, this I, life-threatening I had, I, yeah. disease. <laughs> right. Is that good? Right. right. <laughs> I was pregnant. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah. There were, you know, so that, but their response just reminded me of that stigma. And it made me feel powerful thinking like, I can tell them I am seeing a counselor. I am making myself better. I am doing yeah. the work. Like, yeah. Which shouldn't. I mean, that that's what the result is a growth mindset, right? It's realizing yeah. that you're not static, mm-hmm. that you don't have to be the person you are right then if you're not happy with that, right. that, that you can move beyond that. I think that is super empowering. Yeah. Like that was, that was what was liberating for me. And I think it also helps build your resilience because it's like once you tackle one mountain, when another one comes up, which newsflash, it, it will, will. <laughs> you feel equipped. You're like, you know what? I've been there, done that. I mm-hmm. remember what this felt like. And I remember what I needed to do to get over it. Right. 
And guess what? It takes a lot of intentionality. Yep. And so really it just becomes a question of are you okay with what's happening or are you going to do something about it? Right. And how much how much do you feel is the responsibility of your provider versus you? Mm. It's a great question. It depends on your provider. I feel like your provider should point you in the right direction, but really it's your health. Like your provider is not there when you feed yourself at night and your provider's not there when you choose to stay up until one o'clock and not get any sleep. Like you are the one that has to invest in your health. The provider can point you in the right direction, but you know, ultimately you're responsible. I mean, I'm a I'm personal responsibility is like is like my number one value probably, but right. <laughs> I I expect a lot of personal responsibility from others. So, you know, if you say there's something that you don't like about your life, well then hey, guess what? You can change it. <laughs> right. No, I'm the same way. I mean, it's a lot of talk and no action doesn't yeah. go very far with me. Yeah. It's like we're only gonna have this conversation about how much how unhappy you are. I'll give you five times. <laughs> I'll give you five ha- I'm done. five happy hours <laughs> for you to tell me that you're unhappy. Mm-hmm. And then by the sixth happy hour, I'm going to be like, you either do something or we stop talking about this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love I cocktails agree. as much as the next girl, <laughs> but we got to change. We're the not sto- just hiding the problems in the right, cocktails. Right, yeah. right, right. Get off the wheel, right? Yeah. yeah. And I do want to go back to say, you know, that you, you were really interested in kind of helping yourself holistically as much as you could. Mm-hmm. I think going back to what you said about antidepressants, Sometimes that's going to be on the menu for you, depending yeah. on what your issues are. Yep. And you really need to consult with a psychiatrist to see if you would benefit from those medications. Yeah. But I also think, and Sarah and I are a big proponent of this, that there is a lot of healing that can be done by taking care of your body. And Huge. especially after you've just gone through chemo mm-hmm. and radiation, and there's not a single breast cancer steroids. patient that does not steroids. Oh my gosh. There's not a single breast cancer patient that doesn't wonder what is that doing to my long term health? Yeah. I mean, it crosses all of our minds. And so then it really becomes critical. And we actually just had a doctor on the show the other day who said the difference between, for example, patients who choose to exercise after their diagnosis and those that don't is night and day. Yeah. I mean, in terms of how they feel, how they look, and their energy level. Mm -hmm. So, so much. I mean, it's so easy to feel powerless after Mm -hmm. a diagnosis, but so much of health is around what you do. Yep. It's within your control. It is. There's way more in your control than you think there is. Yep. Yeah. So what would you say is the the most helpful thing that kind of really – or is it a culmination of everything? Because you said you basically were willing to take anything anybody was offering. I read books. I tried, you know – I've, I've done a lot. I saw different providers. I tried chiropractor. I'm trying to think. I'm like really trying to rack my brain. What would be, I, I mean, really, it just comes down to list out your most important things. Like what is most important to you? Mm-hmm. And what are you willing to do for those things? Mm-hmm. And and then and then decide. Like I was willing to do anything to have the best health, mm-hmm. which sometimes meant giving up things that I did enjoy. But you know, that was that's the price I paid to now have this like, you know, to feel a hundred million times better. So I'm curious because I've mentioned this before. So for me, my emotional fallout did not happen right after treatment concluded. I I felt like I handled that really well emotionally. My emotional fallout came two years later when I got bitten by a spider and developed mm-hmm. lymphedema. And then I had this chronic incurable disease, which I did not sign up for, right? <laughs> Everybody's got their threshold. Yep. I was there. I didn't want that. So my emotional fallout happened two years after treatment concluded. And then I'm curious how long it felt like it took you to dig out because honestly, 
if I'm being honest and I sought a counselor for help with my emotions after that happened, it took me two years of intentional mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. to get out to the other side and to feel stronger than ever. Two years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah, that's a long time yeah. to be intentional about your well-being. And it, it, I think another aspect of this is it also depends on what you bring to the table already. Like, you know. What was building up before cancer? <laughs> mm. And and yeah, you maybe got to the threshold of the spider bite, but did you then have to weed through everything else, everything else that, you know, was adding to the spider bite well, and it was still there? Yeah. But, no, let me tell you, my yeah. therapy sessions were not strictly about a spider bite. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And to your point, I mean, I can look back at me prior to getting diagnosed and my daughter had just turned one. So I had been through a pregnancy. I mm-hmm. wasn't eating healthy. Mm-hmm. I was overweight because of the pregnancy. I wasn't taking care of myself. I know I wasn't. Mm-hmm. You were in that, you know, sleep deprived mom mode yeah. where you're just day to day, just trying yep. to get through it, you know, with <laughs> diapers and screaming. And, yep. and so, you know, I can look back and say, okay, there was more there than just you know, mm-hmm. just this or just that. So to yeah. your point, and I think um, we'll talk about that more in some of our other episodes, but, you know, tr- trauma, it, you know, yeah. it's a real deal. And it and, and most people have some sort of trauma in their past, you know, and it can be big traumas or little things, but mm-hmm. it builds. Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah, when I went to therapy, it wasn't just about a spider bite. It was yeah. about everything leading up to that point, you know, that I wasn't happy with. Yeah. But I think the positive from your story and mine is that, you can get to the other side. Yeah. And there yeah. may be people listening right now that do not see that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, thanks for sharing. Yeah. Before we wrap up and kind of let everybody know what we want them to know, let's hear from our second sponsor. Sounds good. SSM Health is a proud sponsor of the Besties with Breasties podcast. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer during their lifetime. Early detection is key and keeping up to date on yearly mammograms could be life-saving. At SSM Health, we offer patients in the St. Louis area online scheduling for mammograms, including next day appointments. Visit ssmhealth.com slash schedule ma'am to make your appointment now. All right, and we're back. So I want to talk about what we're doing to be part of the solution and not the problem. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> is it? You, you want to tell people? Yes. So on the at the beginning of April, we will this. I think this is going to air in um, May, and we will have launched at the beginning of April a survivorship support network. So it's what is that, Sarah? Oh, well, let me tell you. <laughs> it is a. Uh, it's basically a. Facebook group off of Facebook, but it's a way for us to not be bogged down by Facebook rules or, you know, propaganda, whatever is on there. Ads. Ads. No ads. No ads. No Um, retribution (laughs) if you don't do what they want. It'll be a collection of like-minded people, and it's on a network called the Mighty Network. They have apps, so you can download the app, but there'll be a feed, a main feed for everybody to come and enjoy content on wellness. So we will be posting on tips. I want to tell them, though, like what everything's based on, like our five pillars. Oh, right. Yeah. So so Sarah and I (laughs) have, you know, kind of put our heads together about what we felt was instrumental in our recovery Mm -hmm. and 
really thriving in survivorship. And it came down to five, uh, four different pillars. Mm-hmm. All right. So the first is connection. Yes. How And I'm going to just get mushy and just say <laughs> that the best thing about me getting cancer is having met you. Aww. Because, sweet. you know, and I never was one that would have joined a lot of groups. Mm-hmm. You know, like I wasn't going to join a bunch of breast cancer groups. That just wasn't me. And I was like, let me join them all. I know. Exactly. <laughs> and I have, but I am so much better off for knowing these other survivors mm-hmm. and just having these friendships. And it's just, there's something that comes from that shared pain. Yeah. That's just a knowing that you can't get with anybody else. Correct. So yep. connection is our top pillar. Yep. Uh, wellness. Wellness. So this is anything like this is nutrition. This is fitness. This is you know, walking, it's emotional well-being, cryotherapy, massage, like anything, anything that you do for your wellness, self-care. Right. Yeah. yeah. Self-care, quality yeah. of life, finding purpose. Mm-hmm. I think this is huge. You have to find meaning in your journey. Yep. I mean, for us, it's doing this kind of work. Yep. For you, it might be something else, but finding purpose and being able to use this experience for good in the world is really healing. Mm-hmm. And so we want to encourage people to find purpose. And then healthy mindset. Yep. Healthy mindset. So that, I mean, that's was, you know, I talked about that today and how I thought about something in the moment and then how I looked back on it now and even think like it made me a better person. So that's building a healthy mindset. Building a healthy mindset is building resiliency and it's being able to come at something that might seem difficult and being like, okay, I got this. Yeah. So th- basically, it's a private network that you can join after you're done with active or primary treatment to foster connections mm-hmm. and to have access to resources and supports that best fit your individualized need yep. and help you meet your goals. We want to have connection, but we want to have accountability. And there's all kinds of really neat things to be found there regarding fitness, nutrition, courses, um, courses, yeah. membership. We're going to be doing extra podcast episodes specifically yeah. for this network yep. based on those uh, four pillars. This is just our way of being able to support you in your quest for optimal survivorship, right? Yeah, exactly. So I uh, wish this was around when I was going through I, it. Well, so do I, <laughs> which is why we created it. Boom. So anyway, you can find this network on faiththroughfire.org on the survivorship page, or you can also just put in Faith Through Fire in Mighty Networks mm-hmm. and you'll be able to find us. Yep. Ask to join and yeah. we would love to have you. Yeah. So any last thoughts for the people listening today about the emotional fallout and what we want them to know? I mean, other than you're not alone. No, I think. Just, are we going to do it? Yeah. You are not alone. I am here <laughs> for you. <laughs> Yes, there's your cheesy moment for the day. There you go, guys. (laughs) All right. And next time, we are going to be talking to another survivor named Jamie, and she's going to share her story. Yeah, she's going to share her emotional struggle after um, treatment and what what we all can learn from that. So until until next time. time. See ya. See ya.